Good morning, everyone. It's my pleasure to bring God's word to you this morning. We are continuing along with our sermon series in the Gospel of Mark. Continuing in the Gospel of Mark. And that is uh, one of the four accounts of Jesus' life that you'll find in the New Testament. The Gospel of Mark. And what we've been seeing as we work our way through this particular Gospel is that Mark has a particular agenda as he writes. He's pointing the reader to what Jesus did and said, to what others said about Jesus, to help us answer this question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? And once again, our passage today helps us in answering that question, the most important of all questions. We've also been seeing that Masses and masses of people have been following Jesus. They've been drawn to Jesus, I should say, rather. Um, Not following him in the sense of being his disciples, of being uh, people who uh, have necessarily understood who he is and chosen to repent and follow him. No, not necessarily. Large crowds, people who are interested in Jesus, Jesus has become popular, and as his popularity has skyrocketed, the crowds have just grown and grown and grown, and everywhere he goes, many people follow. And a lot of this attention, as I said, is not necessarily about true understanding of him. A lot of it has to do with people looking to benefit from his miracles, or to at least enjoy the spectacle of his, of his miracles. Even if you're not coming to be healed, maybe you're coming to see somebody else get healed. And a good amount of the attention he's been getting, and more and more so, has been atten- attention from religious people, like the scribes and the Pharisees, who take issue with him, with his teaching, and with what he and his disciples do. And we will see more of that again in our passage today as well. More of this growing opposition against Jesus. Our text today starts in chapter 2, verse 23, and runs to chapter 3, verse 6. We'll be looking at two stories, but stories that are closely linked and are best understood together. And as a side note here, this is a good example, actually, of the fact that, our, that the chapters and verses we see in the books of our Bible are not inspired. That is, the, the actual chapter divisions, the verse divisions, chapter 2 starts here, chapter 3 starts here, this is verse 1, this is where verse 2 starts. Those sort of divisions were not in the original manuscripts, which is to say they weren't put there by the authors of Scripture. They were put there later by people who were translating and transmitting the Bible. And they were put there for good reason. They're helpful. They help us find our way around. Can you imagine trying to find our text this morning if I wasn't able to say to you, turn to chapter 2, verse 23? They're helpful. But it is important to realize, right, that 
the actual divisions are not from God, okay? And so it would be wrong, for example, in this passage to think, okay, at the end of chapter 2, this subject is finished. And now in chapter 3, we're starting with a new, a new, a new, well, a new chapter, a new topic, okay? Like you might expect in a novel or some other book you're reading. Sometimes, as in our text today, it's best to actually understand a flow from one chapter into the next and to see that as being one section that's best understood together. All right. With that said, let me read from Mark chapter 2, starting in verse 23. One Sabbath, he, that's Jesus, one Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields, and as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did? When he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest, and he ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Again he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand, and they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, come here. And he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm? To save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart. And he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him, how to destroy him. As we consider this passage today, first, let's look at the Pharisees' accusation. The Pharisees' accusation. Essentially, their accusation was, why, Jesus, why are you and your disciples doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? They ask a question, but there is clear criticism and accusation. See, the Sabbath was hugely important to Old Covenant Jews. And in their mind, Jesus and his disciples are not doing what is lawful on the Sabbath. And that is a big problem. They are disobeying God. As far as they, they see it, Jesus and his disciples are breaking the Sabbath commandment. In their understanding, right? They were fully convinced of this, but they were wrong. They were wrong. 
What is the Sabbath? And what did God command about it? Well, all the way back in the first chapters of Genesis, at the very, very beginning of our Bibles, we see that God created the world in six days. The whole world and everything in it in six days. And then on the seventh day, it says that he rested from all the work he had done and he made the seventh day holy. Holy. He set it apart as special. And the fourth commandment in the Ten Commandments, we see in Exodus 20 verse 8, is the commandment uh, for the Sabbath day. It reads, Exodus 20 verse 8 following reads, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner that is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So, in essence, the Sabbath was a day to set aside, one day a week, a day to rest from work and to intentionally remember God and the good work He had done in creation. His goodness and kindness, His glory seen in creation. But the Pharisees had some extra regulations. And we said last week that the Pharisees were known for their strict keeping of the external requirements of God's law. The outer dynamics of the law, but often missing the heart. In other words, you could say they kept the letter of the law, but missed the spirit of the law. And part of that commitment was seen in them adding a whole bunch of extra rules to what God said in the Bible. They originally intended for those extra rules to help them keep God's law better. But they ended up becoming burdensome on people and resulted in an outward keeping of rules and regulations that missed the point. They missed the real purpose and intention of the law and ended up actually promoting self-righteousness. That is a sense of being better than others because you are so religious and strict. You're doing a better job keeping these rules than they are. And a sense of being pleasing to God because you are so religious and strict. And here's how that played out with the Sabbath. Jewish rabbis, that is, teachers of God's law, wrote something called the Mishnah. And in the Mishnah, they spelled out 39 different categories of work that they said were forbidden to do on the Sabbath day. One biblical scholar, James Edwards, summarizes this 
section in his commentary on Mark, saying that some of these categories are things we might expect and would not be surprised by. So, for example, the Sabbath is not for plowing or hunting or butchering. But then the Mishnah also gets into some specific rules for the Sabbath that get ridiculous. For example, it says that tying or loosening knots is wrong on the Sabbath. It's wrong to sew more than one stitch. It's wrong to write more than one letter. If a building fell down, you could remove just enough rubble to see if people were dead. If they were alive, you could rescue them. But if they were dead, you were supposed to leave them there until sunset when the Sabbath was over. So here in our passage, we see that the Pharisees are convinced that Jesus and his disciples are breaking the Sabbath because they are going against some of these additional rules that the Jewish rabbis had put in place in the Mishnah. Rules that God's word never actually commands anyway. So in our first story, we see that they're upset because in their mind, Jesus and his disciples are harvesting the grain. Jesus and his disciples are just walking along a pathway through some grain fields. And as they do so, the disciples strip some of the grain from the stalks as they walk along. Very casually, you know, not breaking a sweat, not laborious. And in Jewish culture, this would have been a very, very acceptable thing to do absolutely any other time, any other day of the week. It was so accepted, in fact, that the Old Testament encouraged farmers to leave some grain in the corners of their fields when they harvested so that there would be some grain for people passing by who might be hungry. Leave some there so that if somebody's in need, they can just collect a little bit of grain as they go. It's just a one way of loving your neighbor and being considerate of others. So in and of itself, there's absolutely no problem with the disciples helping themselves a little bit of grain as they walk along. But in the eyes of the Pharisees, there's a big problem because it's the Sabbath day. And this simple act of stripping a few grains from their stalks as they walk along is work. Breaking the Sabbath. In our second story, they're upset because Jesus heals this man. In chapter 3, whatever was wrong with his hand specifically, whether it was a deformity from birth or something that had happened as a result of some disease or accident, it seems to have been a settled, long-standing problem. Because if the man had leprosy at the time or some other sort of uh, disease that was affecting him in this way, he would not have been allowed to be in public because he would have been considered unclean. So whatever had caused this problem, it's something that had happened in the past. So this man is just attending the worship service at the synagogue as he would any Saturday, as he would on any Sabbath. And here we see that the Pharisees don't just take issue with Jesus because of something that they happen to see him doing. Rather, we see that they are intently watching him. 
They're watching him to see if he will heal this man. And the passage says, so that they might accuse him. They want to catch Jesus breaking the Sabbath. They want to accuse him. They're looking eagerly for the opportunity. And Jesus does heal the man. And they are not happy. See, it would have been different maybe if this was a life-threatening situation. But yeah, Jesus could have waited until after sunset or until tomorrow. How dare he do the work of healing this man today on the Sabbath? How does Jesus respond to these Pharisees? Well, first of all, he says this. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And he gives an example from the Old Testament. So David had been anointed to be the next king of Israel. He wasn't king yet, but he'd been anointed to be the next king of Israel. And Saul, the king at the time, wanted to kill him. So David and some men who were loyal to him were fleeing from King Saul and his soldiers. And as they were on the run, they couldn't stop anywhere for very long. And they were getting hungry and they didn't know where else to find food. They needed food, and David and his men went to the tabernacle. The tabernacle was kind of like uh, what, what the Jewish people had before the temple was built, a special place for worshiping God, uh, a tent that uh, was, was a special place for worshiping God. And when they got there, they took and ate something called the bread of the presence, But technically, the bread of the presence was very special bread used for a very special purpose. And it was only supposed to be eaten by the priests. So technically, David and his men shouldn't have done that. Technically, David and his men were breaking God's law. Technically. Except they didn't. Jesus tells the story because he has no issue with what David and his men did. Jesus presents this as an example of something very acceptable, even though it might seem technically to be breaking God's law. And then Jesus says, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, did God make man just so that he could obey a bunch of laws on the Sabbath day. Is that, is that how this works? That the Sabbath day is more important than humanity made in the image of God? Or did God make the Sabbath day to be helpful, to be a blessing to man? My kids are a bit older now, but uh, when you've got little kids, you have a lot of extra things to think about. And one of the challenges with parenting little kids is having to watch them all the time. And this is one of the reasons my wife and I love Spur restaurants, or any restaurant with a play area, right? We can go and we can sit, and we can relax a little bit, The kids go and play, 
And at many of these restaurants, there's even somebody who's there watching the kids. It gives us a chance to just disengage a little bit and rest. Rest. Okay? Now, if we were to do something like go to some museum for antique porcelain plates, very expensive, highly breakable plates. Doesn't matter if they have a nice coffee shop there and fantastic food and you know the best chocolate croissants in the world, which my wife loves. Okay? It would not be a restful experience. Okay? Not even close. Because we would have to be stopping the kids here and stopping them there and chasing after them here. No, 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 don't, don't touch that. Okay? No, don't touch that. Oh, where's number four? Right? Not restful at all. Okay? You see, this is what the Pharisees had done to the Sabbath. This is what they'd done to the Sabbath. It was actually arguably the most burdensome day of the week. Because you had to give all your thought to, uh oh, did I walk more than 800 meters? Because if I walk 801 meters, I've walked too far. Seriously, that's a, a true one of the laws from the Mishnah. Dang, did I sew two stitches? I broke the Sabbath. Rest is not possible. Everyone felt they had to be hyper vigilant the whole time. Otherwise, they might even accidentally break the rules. If we think of the original intent of the Sabbath, it's hard actually to think of something more fitting for a Sabbath day than what Jesus and his disciples were doing. They were enjoying a leisurely walk through the grain fields. Jesus and his disciples together on a beautiful sunny day, just running their hands through the stems of grass as they go, enjoying a little snack, just enjoying God's good gifts of nature and food and fellowship. Restful, wholesome, enjoying God's good gifts. That's what the Sabbath is for. Wrong. How dare you work on the Sabbath in the eyes of the Pharisees. So in our second story, how does Jesus respond? Well, first of all, he responds by calling the man with the withered hand to the front of the synagogue. Okay? Calls the man to the front of the synagogue and then he asks this question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good? Or to do harm, to save life, or to kill. And if we think about this, actually, this question is actually not that different from Jesus' point in the previous story. See, if the Sabbath is made for man, if the Sabbath is intended to be a blessing to man, to be helpful to him, right? then how fitting would it be then to think of, of course, the Sabbath is for doing good. 
The Sabbath is for being a blessing to others. That's fitting with the intention of the Sabbath. This question is, is the Sabbath supposed to be a blessing? Is it supposed to be refreshing and helpful and life-giving? Or is it supposed to be the opposite? Burdensome and oppressive and self-centered. And I say self-centered because it ends up being very self-centered when you spend all your energy just paying attention to yourself and making sure that you're doing everything just right. And then when you do do things right, you get prideful about it. And you are tempted to make sure everyone else knows about it so that they can be impressed with you. How good you are at rule-keeping and holiness. And then if you pay attention to others at all, it's with the attention we see from the Pharisees here in this passage, right? Ah! Caught you. Judging and accusing people. Dumping more burdens on top of them so that you can feel better about yourself and feed your pride. So Jesus asks this question and then nobody answers, right? What are they going to (laughs) say? No, it's for doing harm. They can't answer the question. And our passage tells us that Jesus was grieved and even angry. Obviously a righteous anger. Grieved and angry at their hardness of heart. Which is a way of saying that that their prideful stubbornness. Their absolute lack of appropriate feeling and response to the truth that Jesus is presenting to them. It's like they have hearts of stone. Not even beating. They're so wrapped up in their self-righteousness that they don't see or won't see what Jesus is trying to show them. So then Jesus goes right ahead and heals the man in front of everyone. Right there in the synagogue. I love this about Jesus. Again and again we see that he has no fear of man at all. He knows the Pharisees are watching him. He knows they're waiting intently for an opportunity to catch him and accuse him. But he just boldly proceeds. They won't answer his question, so he answers it in action. Stretch out your hand. And the man stretches it out and it's restored. Answer, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. It's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. How else does Jesus respond? He calls himself the Lord of the Sabbath. Now think about this. Think about what he's saying here. We've already seen... In the Gospel of Mark, that this title, Son of Man, is a title that refers to Jesus. So Jesus is saying, He is Lord of the Sabbath. And to be Lord of something is to be an authority over it. 
to rule over it, to be master over it. But the Sabbath, as we've already seen, has existed since creation. And the Sabbath was instituted by God himself. What does the Gospel of John tell us, chapter 1? Referring to Jesus as the Word, John 1, 1 through 3 says this, In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. You see, friends, Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because He was, He instituted it at the beginning of time. He is Lord of the Sabbath because all things were created through Him. And on the seventh day, he rested. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because he is God, very God. Further, if we think about the passage Dumi preached a couple weeks ago, Colossians 2.16 says this, Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. So the Sabbath is a shadow, a shadow of Jesus. Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath because it's a shadow of Him. He is the substance. It points to Him. He is the fulfillment of it. Think about this. Imagine a man standing in the sun, casting a shadow, right? Sun shines on him and casts a shadow. Now, if that man's me, right? And let's say maybe Dakalo is standing near me, right? My shadow looks a little different to hers, you know? Quite a bit taller, quite a bit wider, you know, significantly bigger head, okay? My shadow is shaped by me. My shadow is defined by me. I'm the substance, and that shadow is what it is because I am who I am. Now imagine trying to tell someone, right? Imagine someone coming up to me and trying to tell me all about my shadow as if they know about my shadow better than I do. That's what's happening here. The Sabbath is a shadow of Jesus. He's the expert on it. He knows all about the substance, excuse me. He knows all about the substance of it himself. The Pharisees are not the expert. He is. He knows what it's for. He knows the heartbeat behind it. He knows how it should properly be obeyed. See, it's not just that the Pharisees should not be imposing their pedantic interpretation of every tiny little detail 
of how the Sabbath should be obeyed. They shouldn't be doing that. They shouldn't be doing that to anyone. Filling in the gaps between the lines, writing the fine print themselves as if they know exactly what God wants for everyone, everywhere, throughout history. They shouldn't be doing that. But even more so, they shouldn't be telling Jesus how you should properly understand and obey the Sabbath. He knows the Sabbath better than anyone else. We've said that there's been growing opposition to Jesus. And we see that here at the end of this passage. Mark 3 verse 6. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him. How to destroy him. They know that Jesus... His teaching doesn't match with theirs. And they know that they can't get him to stop. He's bold. He's not afraid of them. He's continuing to teach. He's continuing to do his miracles. And then even when they catch him and they think they've got him, he asks questions that just stump them and they don't know how to answer. I've just got to get rid of this guy. See, Jesus had answered his own question with his actions, right? Is it lawful to do good or to do harm? Oh, you won't answer me. Let me show you. I'm going to do good. I'm going to heal this man. Right? And the Pharisees, as I said, refused to answer Jesus with words, but now they actually go and answer his question with their actions. Immediately, it says. So on that day, on the Sabbath... They go out and conspire with the Herodians how to destroy Jesus. They get busy. They get to work on the Sabbath. They begin scheming and plotting about how to do harm, about how to kill. They miss the Sabbath completely. Now, friends, you need to ask a difficult question to consider, but I encourage you, really consider this, okay? Really give this some thought. And that question is this. Are you a Pharisee? Are you a Pharisee? Do you have a tendency to add to what God has forbidden, to add to what God has commanded? Is it possible that you are missing the point in some things that God has commanded? Missing the intent and purpose of God's commands because you're so focused on the externals. Miss the heart. Do you have a tendency to think that more rules must be better? As Dumi said a few weeks ago, right? That the harder, the better. Harder is more holy. Do you tend to think of life as if man was made to keep a bunch of rules 
rather than realizing that everything God commands us, yes, amen and amen, everything God commands us is for his glory, but it's also for our good. Everything God commands us is for our good. Our highest good, our best. Where God has not spelled things out in detail, do you have the tendency, as I was just saying about the Pharisees, to add between the lines? To think that everyone must see things the way you do and follow your rules as if you know absolute specifics of God of what God wants for everyone. As uh, Pastor Josh used to put it, my former pastor, right? Do you do you do you like to shout where God whispers? Do you like to fill in the white spaces in your Bible and impose that on others? Do you have a tendency to look down on others who don't do things your way, don't see things your way? Do you have a tendency towards trying to earn God's love by your obedience? Do you have a tendency to try and impress others by your religious commitment? My friends, we are saved by works, by the works of Jesus. Okay. <laughs> and Shlaki Nebo looked very worried there. <laughs> we are saved by the works of Jesus. Not saved by your works. You don't do anything to merit salvation. Not a thing. We're saved by what Jesus has done. It's God's grace and God's grace alone that we should be saved by Jesus' perfect keeping of God's law. And by Jesus' death on our behalf that paid for all our breaking. God's law. Now, what about the Sabbath today? What about the Sabbath today? Well, the main point of this passage is not really to answer that question, um, but I'm sure this, this a sermon like this, looking at a passage like this, will raise that question in your mind. So let me try and say at least a few things about it briefly. Firstly, it's important to realize that we don't see a command in the New Testament to do no work on the seventh day and to keep it holy. All the rest of the Ten Commandments we see repeated in the New Testament. Secondly, as we've already seen in Colossians 2, the Sabbath is described as a shadow of Christ, meaning it pointed to him. And the point wasn't the Sabbath itself, but Jesus. Like other things in the Mosaic law that pointed to Jesus, like animal sacrifices, we no longer continue with the shadow now that Jesus, the substance, is here. Paul also says in this passage that no one should pass judgment on us about the Sabbath. 
which indicates that it's not something that is binding for all Christians today. You're not going to see Paul say things like, let no one pass judgment on you regarding adultery and drunkenness. Okay? He doesn't talk that way about things that are laws that we must obey, are commandments that we must obey, all Christians today. Further, Romans 14.5 says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. One person keeps a Sabbath as a special holy day. Another, day, another person sees all days as the same. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Okay? And again, you're not going to see Paul talk about this you know one man thinks he can be a polygamist another thing no okay one man thinks it's fine to gossip another thing no clearly here this is a matter that individual christians can come to different conclusions about and that's okay okay That said, right, there definitely seems to be wisdom in a normal rhythm to life in which we rest for one day out of seven. Okay, remember, we said God's commandments are given for our good. Okay? The Sabbath was made for man. So this general pattern, this general rhythm of resting one day in seven ties in with our, limit, our limitedness as human beings. We're finite. We need rest. We work better when we rest regularly. We're able to be more productive to the glory of God if we don't just keep going, keep going, keep going. And this rest is a gift from God. The most important thing with all of this, though, is that we recognize how the Sabbath is a shadow of Christ. How is the Sabbath a shadow of Christ? Well, because in Jesus we find rest. We enjoy Sabbath forever because of His completed work of salvation. His completed work of salvation. Dumi gave us a call to worship today from Matthew eleven twenty eight. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Amen.